Good morning, everyone. It is office hours. I'm back on the West Coast. I love doing office hours this early, and hopefully you do as well. And we got the double M here. This is Mike Momola. Welcome, Mike. Good morning. And where are you today? In the motorhome? I am the mobile, in the motorhome. The mobile, the mobile Mike in the house. <laughs> I love these shows. We go from the, the digital motorhomes uh, to the win to film this show for Bloomberg and Apple TV. And we are so blessed here to have John List join us. He's a behavioral economist and a professor at one of the most prestigious universities, University of Chicago, uh, which uh, is one of the few law schools, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, one of the few law schools that uh, interview before you go there. And I was blessed to have an interview at the University of Chicago and actually got to meet with the dean and his comments at the end of the interview were, you know what? I think the University of Chicago would be a great place for you, Dave. And I was so excited because, you know, my uncle went to the law school there over Harvard, and I got so excited. And then he said, "Yeah, when you're 26 or 27," because <laughs> I was I, I was a, a senior in college, and uh, it, it was for a more mature student. Let's just tell, uh, tell it that way. Uh, but I I still remember what a good in my life when people are honest and they actually know what's better for you. Even though you think you're being punished, you're being promoted and protected. Uh, and that Dean uh, absolutely had it right. Well, John's uh, has a new book, which is right up our alley, Mike, The Voltage Effect, How to Make Good Ideas Great and Great Ideas Scale. Uh, we've had this topic so many times, John. You know, uh, the founder of, um, I think it was the founder of YouTube. No, no. Uh, yeah, founder of YouTube came on and he said there are there are no there are no uh, good or even great business ideas when they start. There's only bad ones. You have to make them good and then make them great. And your title kind of reminded me of that philosophy of you know ideas are ideas and we make them good then we make them great and we then on top of it have to scale yeah. the great ideas as well, uh, which will allow us to monetize them effectively. Um, for you, how does the lineage of ideas work? Because I always say there's a million great ideas. It's monetizing that's difficult. No, I think that's right. You know, thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the chief economist at Lyft. I worked in the White House for several years. And what I saw in every walk of life is that there, there's a lot of spaghetti thrown at the wall. There's a lot of fake it till you make it. Um, there's a lot of art in, in this world. And I think art is great when it hangs on your wall. But, but art's not so great when it's dictating how you spend hundreds of millions of dollars. So I sort of took matters into my own hands and said, I want to add some science behind the art. And the science was really what I've learned over the last 30 years doing academic research, working in government, and now I was the chief economist at Uber for a few years, now I'm the chief economist at Lyft. And each of these organizations face the same problem. They have a ton of ideas and it's really hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. But I really give five signals in an idea that I've seen that causes people to commonly fail. So exactly as you mentioned, you have an idea, now you have to honestly pick it apart. Do an honest assessment of the data. Don't fall prey to 
confirmation bias and all these other psychological biases that we fall into and determine whether you want to scale it or not, whether it's worthwhile scaling. If it's not, you pivot. John, with regard to, to the book, I know in one part you, you apparently discuss a celebrity chef who expanded his restaurant empire by focusing on scalable ingredients. And, and then there was something that, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And you said, until it collapses because talent doesn't scale. Yeah. Why doesn't talent scale and what ingredients are scalable? Absolutely. That's a great question, MM. Um, so when you look at the restaurants that have made it and the restaurants that have failed, it, there's really one major piece that will determine whether you're successful or not that actually emanates in every area. The bottom line here is that unique humans don't scale. So what I mean by that is if you have a restaurant and the secret sauce is the chef, if you have 30 restaurants, that chef can only be in one of them. The chef, if you can't replicate him or her in the other ones, you're dead. That's what happened to Jamie. That's what happens to a lot of restaurants. Now, the restaurants that are slam dunks and can work, think of Domino's. You know, what is the secret sauce? It's the sauce, the cheese, the pepperoni, the sausage that you can replicate at scale. So the key is, is when you have an idea and you're testing it out, make sure that when you scale that, you actually have access to the same inputs, the same secret sauce that caused it to be a great success at the beginning. If you can't replicate those features at scale, you're dead. And one thing you will never replicate is humans. Humans don't scale. Wow. And to that scalable model, you know, humans do have, though, a desire to be what they must be, and they can figure out what does scale. So, you know, I don't want to uh, discount the power of, you know, I understand in the hospitality space, you can have a great chef uh, that also brings in and understands the scalability of the pepperoni, the sauce, the cheese, the, the crust. But I'm really interested because of your background and how this voltage effect is applicable to some of you know the bigger industries that exist today. And you know, one in particular that I'm involved with is NFTs. And I'm actually not involved as much uh, in the NFT collectible side because of what you teach. Um, you know, I have been involved in sports for a long time. Uh, baseball cards have always been there since I've been born. And some baseball cards are worth a lot. Um, and most baseball cards are not worth anything. And from this premise, uh, I have, I would rather own the fractionalization, democratization, uh, the authentication part of NFTs and blockchain than the collectible part. And uh, you know, I was wondering what, as a chief economist, someone who's worked in all these realms, how do you decipher the NFT market and, you know, what is valuable uh, to invest in and, you know, what's perspective and not invested? Yeah, that's a good question. So whenever I'm on an airplane and somebody next to me says, what do you do? I tell them I'm a professor of economics. And the first question is, What's the stock market going to do? 
or what are interest <laughs> rates going to do? And then I ask them, when's the last time you were at a bar? And they might say two weeks ago. So I say, was there a drunk at the bar? Yeah. So I said, where's the drunk going to fall down when they walk out of the bar? It's a random walk, isn't it? So that's what I want you to think about. I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a perfect markets type of guy, but I'm a rational markets type of guy. Anybody who tells you, here's what a collectible or an asset or an investment will do, unless they have inside information, there's no way I would listen to them. Okay, so everything I say right now, I don't have inside information, but what I do have is a long history. I learned economics in the baseball card market. So I was a dealer in the late 80s and I went through product certification. Product certification is what really helped sports cards. It helped it because it allowed us to alleviate the asymmetric information problem. You know, what's that problem? That's a lot of economies. The asymmetric information problem is one side has a lot more information than the other, and that ends up curbing trade. It's called the lemons problem in economics. George Akerlof won the Nobel Prize for it in the late 90s. He's a, he's a Berkeley professor. So when I, when I come to NFTs, I'm, I'm perfectly in concert with you in terms of Am I going to pick the one or two Mickey Mantles or Hank Aaron's or Honus Wagner was kind of a no brainer because there are only 60 of them. But in the NFT market, what I get, what I get nervous about is it's not that difficult to construct something that looks and acts very similar. Now you're right. What's unique is the code and, and the way that we can authenticate it. But anytime you have, let's say, constructed or, or artificial excess demand or artificial scarcity. I worry about goods that we make artificially scarce because in many cases, it's not hard to make other goods that are artificially scarce that might be perfect substitutes for these goods. So I get nervous about that. I am bullish on the blockchain. I, I, I appreciate, you know, I'm, I'm in a, Within the next few weeks, I'm talking to Devin, the uh, the founder um, of, of the trading group that, that has the, the largest market for NFTs. Because I, I was talking to Tim Ferriss the other day on his podcast, and he brought up that uh, John used to be thinking about NFTs. And so I'm, I'm doing a crash course right now because I haven't really done a ton of work. And when I talk to Devin, I'm, I'm, I, I want to kind of figure out where he thinks it's going where he thinks his company is going in terms of they're going to face a lot of entry right now. You, you see that, right? Uh, there's, there's going to be a new democratized uh, trading place. And um, what happens there, who knows? But I like the space. But remember, there's a random walk. And it, it's investing. Love it. John, uh, Congratulations and good luck. I, I can't wait to see you, you know, endeavor down that rabbit hole of NFTs and, and uh, you know, everything that that entails. I've been down it for over a year now and have, having come up for air and just am fascinated by it. If I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly with regard to humans or, or specific unique humans are not scalable, but everything we're talking about with the blockchain and technology, uh, the closer we get to that, that's what's scalable if I'm hearing oh, you absolutely. correctly. So, yeah. So what's that? What's that balance? Because we need 
people with the creatives, the guy who or the woman who writes the song. But then we need a system to be able to publish it yeah, and distribute it so that millions can hear it. What's the balance there? No, absolutely. I, look, I think anytime you can add technology and anytime you can add means by which you take out unique elements that you can't replicate, which is really what blockchain is doing and what that entire market is doing. Now, early on, let's face it, a really good computer programmer was unique. And, and now they're a dime a dozen. In fact, I was talking at MIT two days ago, and they told me they have now created ML, an AI scheme, to where that programmer does as well as the humans. So, so don't get me wrong, what you want to scale is you have to take the unique element that you can't replicate at scale out of the equation. I, I've started a preschool, and the secret sauce to my preschool is the teachers, okay? So I had to hire 30 teachers, and I served thousands of kids in the poor communities around Chicago. But if I want to scale that up, I have to hire 30,000 teachers. If being a good teacher is the secret sauce, I'm done. I'm done because I cannot find 30,000 good teachers short of paying them a lot of money and taking them from computer programming jobs, right? So th that's my point is, yeah. so when you have an element that you just can't scale, now you need technology or you need a human to come up with a good idea to pivot and make sure we don't need that element at scale. That's just a general rule that we know we have to follow. We have that at Lyft. We're, we're scalable as long as we can keep bringing in drivers. Now, bringing in drivers is expensive. We, we pay $750 basically in advertising per acquired driver on Google and Facebook. And then we pay them 80% of our revenue because we take basically 20% commission. Now, that can be scalable because of the way the, the dynamics of the equilibrium of a two-sided market works. But the hindrance is we, we can only get as big until autonomous comes. We can only get as big as drivers. That's why we're placing such a big bet on autonomous, because that's what's going to, because machines scale and humans tend not to. And I will tell you this, Bradley Tusk uh, definitely wishes that you were scalable, uh, because I'm sure Uber <laughs> misses you tremendously <laughs> uh, as you are tour touring around uh, with all of our friends and the greatest shows and the greatest schools. What an honor it is to have you here, John. We'd love to have you. Yeah as well on some of our TV shows, uh, especially the ones on Bloomberg and Apple, uh, to share your wisdom experience, uh, to take human nature and intertwine it with the principles that you've learned of our economy and uh, what a great uh, value it is to our community to have you here. Thank you so much for joining Mike and I. Thank Thanks you. so much for having me and I look forward to our next chat. You got it. Likewise. Thanks, John. Congrats. We will Profound. remember to buy that book, The Voltage Effect. You know, surround yeah. yourself with the right yeah, people and the right that. ideas. Uh, you know, whether it was you know, working with Reagan, uh, it just incredible background. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah. I always say, I was on why, Ferris. Why, why figure it out yourself? <laughs> Ferris. Yeah. He's with Ferris as well. And us, of course. <laughs> just an, another yeah. positive reinforcement of the billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, yeah. and athletes and entertainers that join us. All right. As always, we're loaded up today, so let's uh, bring on our next wonderful guest. Uh, we have Gary Devonor. Hi, Gary. Hi, Mike. Real Alpha. Real Alpha 
or or Riyadh. Riyadh. So I said it right the first time. Uh, I, my 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 company, you know, we're so great at giving me these uh, pronunciations for the names, and then I forget. Can you give me the name of the company? I see Realpha there. All right, very good. Anyway, uh, Gary, nice to have you on here. And uh, we were just talking about the democratization with blockchain. And I really wanted to have you on because the area that I find so intriguing uh, with NFTs uh, is real estate and real estate investing uh, because there is so much democratization needed in real estate. I've uh, made and lost hundreds of millions of dollars in the space um, and was you know, really interested in having you on, you know, let's start with, you know, where can we democratize real estate? Where, where are the areas where we have cumbersome excess of fees, brokerage, et cetera? All right, uh, David, you know, I was listening to your other conversation with John and John was telling that, you know, like MIT has figured out how to replicate a programmer. Yeah. <laughs> a programmer, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike, Michael A. Singer was sitting there going, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, I mean, you know, real estate uh, is the world's largest industry, but from a technology perspective, you know, I'm a techie, so now I'm a computer programmer, uh, not yet replay. So, you know, <laughs> uh, so uh, the amount of uh, technology uh, laggardness, you know, or you know how much behind real estate is compared to the rest of the world in terms of technology, financial services, banking, or you know, uh, banking probably slower. You know, uh, other areas, uh, the AI and ML and you know, blockchain, everything is at like probably ten years ahead of the curve. Uh, in some areas, actually, it is twenty years. Today, if you want to buy a uh, property, the amount of paperwork you still have to do is astonishing. I, I'm i a techie, right? So, you know, like two years back, if you had asked me anything about, you know, like real estate and its technology, I didn't know much. So I jumped onto it after taking my previous company to NASDAQ. I realized that such a large industry, why is it so much behind? And then, you know, your question on democratization. Democratization has to happen at all levels, not just one. Right. So, uh, see, you know, like uh, we uh, we at Realpha, we are in the short term rental space. Uh, that's a one point two trillion dollar industry. Airbnb, which is the leader in this space, is operational in 220 countries. So how do we, you know, like help people to invest in that asset class by removing all the complexity? That's what we are working on. And that is where at every step of the way, technology will be really helpful. That's very exciting, Gary, and congratulations, because I can think of a lot of people who this would benefit, right? Because not everyone has the ability, perhaps, to, to come up with a, a total down payment for a property and has the sophistication to do the inspection, to check whether there's an oil tank under, under the property that's leaked and do all, everything that's necessary to make sure that it's a smart investment. So if, if we utilize your company... You know, me as an investor or someone who wants to come in, what are the basic things that we need to be aware of before we say, here, Gary, let's go. I'm excited to be an investor now in short-term real estate. Uh, great question, Mike. See, you know, like how I jumped into uh, Realpha was, you know, like uh, in the uh, height of uh, uh, the pandemic, uh, I moved from New York area to Prince uh, Columbus. I'm now in Columbus. 
uh, one of my friend called me. She was trying to buy a uh, Airbnb home that was some four hundred thousand dollars, and banks were asking for twenty five percent down payment, which is hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you know, like majority of Americans, probably sixty percent of the Americans, won't have five thousand dollars for an emergency, right? How do you expect them to invest hundred thousand dollars to get into an asset class? That doesn't happen, right? That is when she said, "Either you give me hundred k or you know solve my problem." I'm a tech entrepreneur. I was looking for my next big thing. I said, "Huh, this is an interesting problem. How do we solve this?" That's how you know we started Realpa. We figured out that instead of putting twenty five percent down, can you do it with ten percent down? And can we break it into you know like four investors rather than one person owning the hundred percent? So you know that is the beginning of our democratization. But you know our vision is that you know in the next maybe a year or so, can we bring it down to zero down payment? And a next generation, you know, millennial or you know Gen Z, if they want to, you know, be part of a short-term rental ecosystem, we should help them to, you know, get into that asset creation. See, everybody is. I mean, you know, you guys were talking about blockchain, NFT, and crypto, all that good stuff, right? But you also need to invest in real. So our tagline is invest in real. So how do you, you know, help people to invest in real? Is the you know like. Uh, the origin of the thesis of a democratization process. It's amazing because uh, our thought process are very similar. I love the way that you break down things into simplicity, of you know someone addressing you with a problem, and then you looking at the solution and simplifying it, saying you know not just uh, you know how do I democratize the payment, the hundred thousand dollars, but then you simplify it and say what if we could make the hundred thousand dollar payment forty thousand uh, dollars at ten percent instead of twenty five percent. But then you take it even a step further and say, all real assets require this type of technology. And you know there is a mindset that you have that so many people are missing. They you know are so busy working they forget to make money. Uh, they let these opportunities slide by them. And then if they don't let the opportunities slide them, they let the emotional aspect uh, take up their time, energy, emotion, value, and money in making the decisions. Um, you've written a book, Nothing to NASDAQ, uh, once again, in the same uh, type of mindset to simplify what has you know bankrupt many of millions of people uh, in the world. Uh, what do you think it is, either in your background, education, or experience, that allows you to simplify things to their core where everyone when you're finished says oh yeah like why didn't i think of that and still today the resistance that you'll get from what i see is a very simple stable type of opportunity uh, other people will go down and chase things that you know have no stable data and and no and much more variance what is it in your mindset that says okay this is how i break it down because you've done it with your book and now you've done it in the biggest industry, real estate. Yeah, uh, great question there, right? So uh, apart from the down payment, there are two other problems, right? You know, like one is how do you buy the right kind of property? You know, in real estate, you know, you know, buying the right property is like the you know biggest challenge. And the second part is how do you maintain and you know like take care of you know like a tenant calling you, you know, uh, if it is a short-term rental. It's like running a hotel, right? You know, like somebody will call you at 3 a.m. telling toilet is not working. You know, those kind of issues. So the first problem, how do you buy the property? Obviously, we use artificial intelligence. 
So we built a platform. We call it as Realpha Brain. Uh, see, you know, humans, we can analyze only X number of properties at a given point in time. But AI can analyze tens of thousands of properties in no time. We have already analyzed 100,000 properties or so. That has helped us to, you know, like narrow down. So we eliminate the bad properties that you don't want to buy. And then, you know, we built another app called Humint, Human Intelligence. Don't bet on only artificial intelligence because we believe that AI, by the way, I'm a programmer, so I can tell you, you know, with some confidence that AI hasn't reached a stage where you shouldn't be making the entire buying process. Some large companies went through, you know, trouble. I don't want to get into that. But, you know, we had spotted this about a year back that if you allow systems to buy the, pro uh, the entire property, it can, you know, come and bite you. So we built an app, Human Intelligence, Humint, wherein after the AI reduces it to, you know, a smaller number of piece, then, you know, we use gig economy workers from around the world to, you know, take a look at the property, neighborhood, how the pictures are inside, etc., and then rank it. And then, you know, it generates a real score that helps in, you know, like the narrowing down the number of properties and then the buying happens. And then, you know, we take care of all the, you know, management headaches of that property so that somebody can, you know, focus on their earnings. And we have done one other thing for our uh, members. Not only they will be getting an opportunity to invest, but, you know, like, see, you know that, you know, short term rental and Airbnb, you can, you know, expect about 65, 70% utilization rate. The remaining 30%, you can, you know, use it like a, you know, you can go and send your parents to go and stay in your property, right? That's a matter of pride for people. So we have seen that as a you know huge uh, you know inbound interest for us. Gary, with so, regard to everything that you're saying, as technology applies to it and the things that we're learning, do we see um, a difference in the likelihood of success or failure geographically? For example, in the United States versus different countries around the world utilizing these technologies, and if so, why? Yeah. I mean, you know, we are now focused on the U.S. and, you know, like we are scaling within the U.S. because U.S. has probably, you know, like good amount of data. Uh, there are other countries, you know, we are uh, we were surprised a lot, Mike, when we launched our Regulation A offering. The interest from uh, to invest in our company came from 66 countries, including Mongolia. I was blown away because I never thought that, you know, like why would people from all over the world want to invest in a a company like us right 66 countries 16000 plus you know people wanting to invest that's just you know mind blowing the way you know we are looking at is technology can help in the procurement analysis uh, transaction management and obviously you know financing etc so those are the areas that technology will be very useful but if you look at you know countries like singapore or india or hong kong obviously most of the europe Canada and so on, uh, we have a you know, global opportunity. We will go one market at a time, you know, because it takes time to scale. Yeah. You know, Gary, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Mike and I are recovering lawyers and it's so easy for lawyers to transition into business. You know, some of my friends from law school, uh, you know, run football teams and, and uh, Burger King and, you know, all the Barks Root Beer uh, uh, all types of great businesses. And I love when I see someone whose skills and knowledge uh, are not attributable. The training that you receive is not attributable to the keen 
business acumen that you have. It's obvious that when you sit through three years of law school, reading case law and statutes, that you're going to gather a lot of uh, emotional intelligence, adaptable intelligence, and academic intelligence of how business works, uh, because a lot of the courses are strictly about business, like tax uh, or estates. Or, but it's remarkable uh, because our uh, mindset, like I suggested earlier, are so aligned with simplicity you know, of how markets, market makers, and margins are made. Um, and you've done that with Amero 100, and now you're doing it again. Uh, we really appreciate having you on. I'm hope, I hope my friend Mark Kwame there in Columbus with Drive Financials involved somehow with you. Uh, if not, if you haven't met Mark, uh, he's someone you definitely want to meet. One of uh, my dear old friends from Sand Hill Road made the journey the pilgrimage to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm a big Buckeye fan, so it's always great to see someone who's supporting there. Uh, Gary, thank you so much. Check it out, realpha.com. Thank you, guys. I'm 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 looking it up. I own uh, some short-term property, so I, I got to check this out. You may have another investor. Appreciate it. All right. Thank yeah. you very much. Appreciate thank you, Gary. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, guys. All right, Mikey. All I got to say is wow and wow so far. You're, you back know. to back. You know, you think you should you'd start doing a show at 5 a.m. Pacific time. And I think we're in a few hundred of shows, believe it or not, <laughs> which wow. we created for COVID so that people could have a way to learn and, and communicate with the biggest millionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers um, and get that secret sauce. I call it the spirit of excellence. <laughs> um, remarkably enough, again, right? You, I just want like, how are we ever going to find, you know, more of these extraordinary people? I mean, not that we didn't have yeah. the chairman of Alphabet and Hall of Famers and, you know, Academy Award winners on here. Uh, but, you know, it never surprises me because I'm learning. I feel like they're in Napoleon Hill every day, except I don't have every to travel day. the world. I just have to sit here in my hotel room for the Pro Bowl <clears throat> and find people it's, like Rick Like. <laughs> so. Yeah, Gary, it's incredible, Dave. You're so right, because between now and then when we jump on Clubhouse, I go back and I read so much on these individuals and what they're doing. It's just like, okay, this is mind-blowing. And, and every week after week after week, it's like that. Yeah. All right, well, let's bring on – now we put the pressure on him. Yes. Uh, Rick, Rick, Rick Like is here, Executive Vice President, Managing Director of no Public pressure, Relations right? and Public Affairs of Mower, mower.com. And, uh, you know – CSR is a huge issue. If those who haven't heard of CSR, corporate social responsibility, diversity, equity, inclusion, and of course ESG, environmental, social, and governance. We have so many different impactful things to think about beyond making money. It's a wonder we're even capable of making money uh, with CSR, DEI, ESG, um, and of course a cancel culture right behind it if you're not adhering and the social amplification of what we're doing to make money. Um, it, it's amazing. And you, you know, I come from the sports agency uh, world, Rick. And when I ran Lee Steinberg, you know, it was uh, because of the elevated uh, stature of, of athletes. You know, when you're representing people like Warren Moon, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, we had, you know, 12 first picks in a row. And, you know, there's a lot of issues, but they were very, uh, contained by the celebrity or by the athlete and now today companies <laughs> with thousands of employees face triple if not quadruple the type of exposure and scrutiny uh through us trying to do good and so you know how have you as a leader in this space uh 
help those companies to be responsible, but not only be responsible, but to have the PR uh, to make sure the communication of when they are responsible is correct, but also when there are human uh, incidents, as I call them. And uh, my, I, I hate to ramble before I let you talk, but Mikey, you'll like this as a, a lawyer. We had a very aggressive newspaper, this is old days, newspaper writer, and he was just abusive to our athletes. I mean, follow them around with, you know, back, like this, you know, basically you, my philosophy was you, you put your, uh, you, uh, you, you look far enough someone's backside, you're going to find shit, right? No matter who you are, you look far enough up someone's backside, you're going to find shit. And this guy was just Snoop Doggy Dog, put it that way. And uh, <clears throat> we decided, you know what? This will be better. Why don't we just stop this by getting a private investigator to follow that reporter around? Uh, and it was amazing how much information we found on that reporter of being human and how quickly he stopped, you know, trying to find how human our athletes were. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, uh, I, I just had to share that real quick. Uh, like you're, you're, you're amazing Rick, for what you do for these companies that are under, you know, this quadruple uh, scrutiny and, for you, what is, you know, number one, the best piece of advice, because it's an impossibility to stay clean. Uh, and we need more of a communication. Hey, we're doing our best for the best of all. Well, okay. First of all, David, and my thanks for having me on this morning. Um, you know, the reality is these things are, are the pillars of good corporate citizenship. And what we try to tell people, it used to be, good for business and increasingly we're seeing it as being required to do business so uh, you know what used to be considered kind of a, a distraction from the bottom line has so much to do with the bottom line these days um, and david you're you know you're about to watch the watch the pro bowl in a couple of days all you have to do is look at what's going on with the nfl right now with the brian flores situation and look at it and say Hey, you know, the, the Rooney rule, right? The Rooney rule is 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 something that league has been operating under for how long now? Look where they are today, the allegations that are that have been made. Um, whether or not the whether or not these allegations prove out or what's going on with them, the reality is the the proof is in the pudding right now. One one black coach out of out of thirty-two. Um, it's it's interesting to look the two teams that are playing uh, in the Super Bowl. Um, you've got the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, you have a team that uh, broke the color barrier um, with Kenny Washington uh, back in 1946 in the NFL, and the the Cincinnati Bengals. They broke the color barrier in the old. AFC with um, AAFC with uh, Marion Motley and um, uh, Bill Willis in 1946. All years that the NFL has had black athletes among their ranks and their stated goal of improving um, their DEI in the in the and they are today. Yeah, 
Rick, for me, I think we might it's, have lost. It's an issue uh, for them. And yeah, we've lost Rick. Um, he has to get his connectivity, so I'll get mad on Mikey. But um, I think it's really interesting as he brings up, you know, the necessity right. of, of what it is. And it's gone so deep. I uh, sit on the board and invested in a company called Life Brand. Uh, talk about, whoops. Can you hear me okay? I can, loud and clear, and I'm a huge fan of Life Brand. Life, Life Brand, yeah. Life and brand, they, yeah. yeah. So w what they do, though, it, is indicative of how deep this goes because it's not just the company. Right? It's not just the NFL. Uh, Life Brand goes to each individual employee because right. now you're responsible for some 24-year-old right out of college that posts something uh, that may be politically incorrect or, you know, just something stupid that yeah. I don't want to be judged for what I was at 24 and I don't judge other people for where they are at 24 other than help them for people my age. I try to get them to unlearn what they learned at 24. Right. <laughs> but and, and you're right because you're doing complex. It's almost impossible uh, yeah. to, to figure it out. I remember going to see those guys. They're just outside of Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. Correct. And being blown away with what they're doing. So important. I re remember how excited everyone, the whole world was with the internet. It's like we could see everything, total visibility. And now it's like, hold on, throttle back. We need to figure out what's what and what's accurate and what's not. So providing an incredible service. And yeah, like Rick was talking about, so important. I'll tell you a quick well, quick story well, since we have a minute. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question too. So yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to lose it real quick and I'll let you tell your story. But, you know, as a lawyer, you know, one of the other things just un, you know, just to me unbelievable is accusation over facts, uh, right? Like it does, like, you know, you and I, anybody could accuse you of anything. And if they have, you know, the right connections and it's amplified correctly, the truth yeah, yeah. now exists for you and the damage is astronomical okay and, and to compound that you're absolutely right and we've seen it i saw it for decades as an attorney and those accusations make the front page you know the acquittal three years later is buried on page 16 i've seen high school uh athletic coaches whose lives personally and professionally have been ruined and they're 100 percent innocent and so that's terrible uh, and, and it's terrible on the other side that it actually this happens traction. to people right or, or well beyond that too then then you have the people that it's happened to, and they immediately, when when you start talking about, you know, it's not fair that people are accused, the people that are guilty and have been victimized by this, I can understand why they get so upset. Like, yeah. you know, don't discount this. Don't discount it. Of course, don't discount it. But right. what are we going to do to give, you know, liability to people who make accusations? And there's right. other societies that give responsibility to accusations, uh, uh, to that, which I think in this corporate realm is going to be significant. I think Rick's back on it. Matt, give awesome. me a thumbs up if we should bring him in or Mike tell a story. We're going to bring him in. All right, cool. Yeah. Sorry, Rick. Let's try it. You were staying. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not sure where I lost you guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'm hearing you great now. So we were talking about, you know, the, the NFL. We, we were getting bits and pieces, and I think everyone's familiar with the Rooney Rule and what's occurred now as a, you know, evolution of that. And what makes it even more difficult layered on there, Rick, is that you have to deal with accusations. You just finished up by saying whether or not, you know, this is deemed to be true, it probably will render a huge settlement <laughs> and we'll never know what pieces and parts 
have attributed to, to what it is. Um, so, uh, but Mike, go ahead and tell your story uh, while we get Rick back on. And if it doesn't work out, we'll have Rick back on. Uh, you know, yeah. You know, I, when I was, we, we talk about being recovering lawyers. I remember when I was leaving law school, I, we were literally leaving that day. And as I was walking out with some friends, Judge Ray, who was uh, one of my professors, he was the first judge of the Court of International Trade in, in New York City. He says, Mamola, get over here. And he like pulls me over. And he said, I want you to remember one thing. I don't care if you forget everything you learned in the last three years in law school. You remember this. It's good business to be good in business. Promise me you'll never forget that. And I said, I promise, Judge, I'll, I'll never forget that. And here I am 20 years later still remembering it and sharing it. And so guys like Rick and everybody, that's, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to defend uh, or protect, that's another issue that he deals with in public affairs and public relations. You know, yeah. one, one of the things that, you know, and I'll share a story as well, and then we'll go on to our next guest and we'll get Rick rescheduled uh, unless uh, we, we, we put him in as our last guest at 6, 545 at Pacific time. Uh, so I represented a Hall of Famer um, and he uh, got into the Hall of Fame and he they were going to have uh, the key to the city given to him. They're going to have this athletes you know day named after him and uh beforehand he went out and uh he drank some wine with his wife and on the way home got pulled over and blew a 0.09 um he was distraught they're going to cancel this athlete's day they're going to cancel him this is pre all of the the things that we have to deal with yeah and what we did is got out in front of it Right. And we took all the energy out of it. And so the key statement that allowed us to get out in front of it was when he came out and said, I'd like to apologize to my family, friends, team and the Hall of Fame, because nobody should ever get behind the wheel, even with one sip of alcohol. So he didn't admit guilt. Yeah. Right. He ended up everything was dropped. It it ended up, you know, not working out. Right. So he was innocent, in other words. Um, And luckily, they did, you know, and named the city and the key to the city and got to, you know, n- no negative effect. But for a day when the news came out and the ESPN ticker was talking about this DUI and people, I always wonder, you know, as much as we got out in front of it, as much as it got this, as much as he still got his day, as much as everybody's forgetting about it, which is why I won't name his name right now. Yeah. I always wonder how many people still today, if you mention this athlete's name, go, isn't that the guy that got the DUI? Yeah, um, so, uh, so or, or even convicted of drunk driving or even worse because they misinterpret the facts uh, that then become your brand. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know from a lot of my athletes that did stuff in their early 20s and they, you know, are now in their 60s and people say, like, isn't that that guy that hit his wife? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's amazing, yeah. uh, but it's way worse now. And. Uh, the one area that I, I find interesting, though, is very difficult with diversity, equity, and inclusion because it's multivariable, right? There, yeah. There's not a lot of math to it. You, right. it. Like, there's circumstances to it where the ebbs and flows, you know, we went from nine, nine NFL coaches to one. Uh, but there could be other reasons why, right? And, and it yeah. could just be the cyclical nature of, you know, eight of the teams that they were coaching didn't do well. And... They had to move on. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, so 
But it's interesting, CSR and ESG are much easier on the PR side, yeah. right? Because, yeah, yeah. you know, environmental, social, and governance uh, are much easier than diversity, equity, and inclusion, which have so many variables based off of history. All right, let's bring on our last guest. Uh, Matt, please reschedule Rick, because I want to get into that conversation. We have multiple shows, Mike, as you know, that we could put Rick on. Uh, our next guest is Deborah Sawath. She's the founder and chief executive officer of Thale Blanc and the Power of Words brand. We were just talking about uh, brand, and Deborah's a good friend of ours. I am so excited to have you. All of our friends and family say hi, Deborah. How are you? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Deborah. Well, you, you're you're an amazing force uh, in the luxury lifestyle uh, brand and empowering women. Uh, working with Female Quotient, obviously, and Shelly Zalis, but you're now you know dipping into my realm, the sport, <laughs> the sports world, um, and utilizing the power of words and brands for mental health, which is our biggest pandemic that nobody's recognizing, um, and we're doing it at the NBA all-star game and i think you may even be working with some of the biggest names in sports to help you how did you get involved from the luxury fashion industry and women's designs of handbags and accessories jewelries and women empowerment into probably the most male-dominated sports uh, of the nba um well first of all thanks to you and shelly and david i mean that's where it all began at uh, the nfl draft in cleveland uh you know i, I was just there with shelly just accompanying her with uh, jill esterino and uh, i was approached we attended a cocktail actually by an organization that um that is one of the biggest mental health organizations in Cleveland. And they asked if I would do a fashion event and raise money uh, during the All-Star weekend for mental health. And that's where it really began. I wasn't meant to be there, but, you know, it took me a while. By the way, we're waiting for Jumana to get on. So I don't know if she's able to connect or not, Jumana kid. Um, just, you know, being there and feeling, hi, Jumana. <laughs> You know, just being there, feeling the energy and the power and the voices um, these amazing players have, I think, is is what's important when it comes to mental health. By the way, I'm, you know, I'm a designer, I'm a fashion designer by career, but by education, I'm also, I also studied psychology and I work with kids. So, you know, I work with kids out of school, out of university, I mentor a lot of kids, and I found I could bring the two things together, bring together... Uh, talking about how you feel and expressing yourself and fashion and conversing through fashion, which is what it's about. And, um, you know, that's how it all began. And I figured players, I mean, everybody watches sport, especially, um, you know, basketball, the NFL, whether it's MLB, whatever, kids, so many kids are involved in, the, in, in that arena. And um, if a big macho guy can come out and say, I feel low, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed, uh, I, I don't feel like doing things I do every day, I think that's a nice way to bring these two together, to get kids to express themselves if someone else, if their role models are able to talk about these things. I think, um, you, you know, we're encouraging kids to come out and not just kids, women, men, people are shy to say they feel low. It makes you feel, uh, you know, 
terrible and no one wants to be in that position. Deborah, good morning and good morning, Jumani. Go ahead, Dave. Did you have something? Yeah, I, I did because I think that's a really important part, Deborah. Yeah, I just yeah. had one of my childhood friends who I spoke to on his birthday at 54 years old kill himself. Yeah. Uh, and nobody had an idea that he had been in therapy for 10 years, that he had been, you know, suffering uh, from mental and, you know, physical anguish. He had, you know, some back, and a lot of times that does, you know, contribute when you have some physical ailment that then creates, you know, a, a pills or, or other things that happen that just, to me, snowball. But um, it, it just, to me, is so interesting because that's my whole mission in life is to empower over a billion people to be happy. And it started because a 12-year-old, a friend of my daughter's killed herself and I just could not understand. I understand a 54 year old that had back injury and I, I, I at least understand how this could evolve from what you say that they're afraid, but for we to create a situation of mental health where a 12 year old who should have no worries in the world, let alone worries uh, or anxiety, depression, et cetera, to take their own life. You know, this has to, uh, we, the leadership of, you know, Jamana yourself, Shelly, others in this space, especially for young women. I have three daughters that are teenagers and we, we have to figure this out quickly because like I said, this new pandemic uh, is far greater than the one that everybody's wearing masks for right now. And, uh, but, but go ahead, Mike, I apologize. I just had to add that in. Yeah, no, no, it's so powerful. And again, good morning, Deborah and Jumana. And you know, what you're saying, I, it just resonates with me so deeply. I, I sit on the board of the Artest Foundation. I, I've been on the board of uh, something called Attitudes in Reverse. The acronym is AIR, A-I-R, out of Princeton, New Jersey. And Dave's been a big help with that, which is focused on teenage suicide and adolescent mental health. And you're absolutely right. It's that stigma. Um, and, and so it is very important for athletes, these big, strong, you know, macho guys, like you said, to come out and say, hey, I'm suffering. And, and one of Dave will tell you, one of Dave's, in my opinion, I think he might agree, most powerful uh, podcast is a guy named Mike Moosebrugger, who just like, you have to hear this podcast. It's incredible. And it makes all of us realize our vulnerability and fragility. So I applaud you. What else can we do that you're doing? It's these messages. When you talk about the psychology background, it's the communication. Is that what we can do to continue to break the stigma and let people know that it's okay not being okay? Um, I, I think there's more to it than that. I think you're not just talking to the person. One of the things I found is with um, with kids, with uh, parents that are suffering, um, I think it's empathy. Empathy is a really, really big word. We don't want people to feel sorry for someone. We want people to understand what they're going through, to be there to support them. Support them. You know, there's so much, there's, you know, there's therapy available. People around you don't understand and can't fit into your shoes. Um, you know, you're never going to be able to help them. Um, if I can jump in, I think, yeah, please. Uh, you know, the biggest lesson I learned from having children, having friends, just you know, having community that is human, um, is that sometimes it's bigger than you, and I we don't realize that. And I, you know, I come from that school of hard knocks of you know, shake it off or you're fine go for a walk, have a cup of tea. But, you know, sometimes we do have situations, and especially with children who really get confused. It's bigger than them. It's something that it's almost like an out of body. And um, 
whether they don't feel comfortable talking to someone, whether they feel like something's actually really wrong with them or they're not getting, they think they're asking for support because they're saying, you know, I feel bad or they're acting out. But, you know, the way that we're responding is more of a, you know, do things to make yourself feel better, you know, change how you're eating, exercise and not saying that those things are great addition to your life. But at the end of the day, sometimes there's situations with mental health that are just bigger than us. And I think that's the part that, you know, really worries me the most. And that's where I've seen breakdowns happen where, you know, like you said about your friend, I'm so sorry to hear about and, and your, your daughter's friend, where it, sometimes is just bigger than them and there's really nothing you could have done or you know except really understand what they're going through and have the, the type of help that they might need i think you know when i was approached by deb to be very honest if we're being super candid here i thought okay i'll be a committee member um i know she's going to do something at all star i've got a few connections you know i can you know connect her with the right people and and you know it, you know, Deb is infectious. Just listening to her speak with her gorgeous accent, I'm like, I want to be involved with anything we're involved. <laughs> and um, her clothing is beautiful, and she didn't skimp with this because, you know, I kind of also thought, well, you know, she's going to kind of dumb down her line and make it affordable. We're doing so much giveaway, and we're, you know, giving proceeds. But once I saw the merchandise, I was like, okay, wow. So you really did not, you know, skimp on this stuff, and. Um, Again, what better, you know, cause than mental health with the, you know, social injustice that's been going on with the, you know, all the health issues and the pandemic. And I mean, mental health is at an all time high. And Deb does have a major passion, as I do, for kids. And seeing kids suffer through this has been really what's grabbed me. So you can't shake me now, Deb. I'm here. <laughs> Not just a committee member Thank anymore. You. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Joanna, just so you know, I uh, the two biggest charities that I'm involved with, one uh, went into the same exact way uh, called Unstoppable Foundation, which I am now, they told me I'd be the interim chairman of, uh, but I didn't know that interim meant this lifetime because these are people that believe in <laughs> multiple lifetimes. Uh, <laughs> and then even, even worse, they asked me to be a chancellor of Junior Achievement University worldwide. I'm a big entrepreneur and... Um, you know, I, the same thing, Brian Tracy, Bob Proctor, Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, Sharon Lecter, Mary Morrissey, all of my heroes were chancellors. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get to be with these other channels. I'll donate all my my content to to kids, this, you know, 100 million alumni. Well, you know, it ends up now they, out of the same thing. They're like, well, Dave's the youngest. He can be the chief chancellor. And, and then we just found out, by the way. Uh, we were nominated junior achievement worldwide was nominated for a nobel peace prize two days ago uh so you know all the good that we do gets the the recognition and i will tell you De deborah when i met you for the first time at the nfl draft the first thing i thought was oh my gosh look at that jacket i i'm like do not let my wife see that jacket because it looks really expensive and i have three daughters then that would also get the jacket uh so Thank you for not showing any of your beautiful line yet to my my, my children and my wife. So we'll, we'll, I'll keep donating money as long as you keep your clothes away from my kids. <laughs> well, the, the clothes are the way you you spread the awareness. Uh, you know, so they're going to have to, if you want them to be part of the movement, they're going to have to wear it. The way I designed the line is it's not just, uh, just not apparel. I do have a 
to have a fashion brand and I didn't need to create another brand. And we called the brand the power of words because I wanted every person, every piece to speak to the person that owns it, but also speak to the people around them. What you wear impacts how you feel, but it's also a reflection of who you are. And that's what it is about, you know, whether it's men's clothing, we do teens, women and men, and we do extra tea, by the way. Uh, you know, it, we have words on it, but it's done in a fashionable way. You're not only wearing a T-shirt with a big word. We've got words concealed if you don't want to expose, you know, how you're actually feeling. And you want to wear it because it makes you feel good. I think that's the important part of what we're doing. Apart, aside of the fact that, outside of the fact that we give back, I think it's, I wanted to use fashion as a place. We have a voice. I wanted to be able to speak to everybody, whether it's a mother suffering with postpartum or her child trying to understand what she's going through, wearing how she feels on her, um, you know, helps people around her understand. And a big part of it's the manifesting. So even if you're not feeling great, you put on a shirt and it says warrior or, you know, and you, you can't help but feel a tiny bit better. And then also if someone's approaching you and they see that, they're going to they're going to see you as being more approachable and you might brighten their day. And so yeah. it's simple things. So smart. You know, I'm writing a book called Reconciliation right now about the five levels or vibrations or frequencies of intention. And you mentioned manifestation, which is my first book about manifesting anything in, in life and business. But it's interesting because the brand itself um, that you've created has all five levels of frequency. It's not just the, the physicality of the of the human vibration of cellular structure, but then what we say, what we think, what we believe, and what we feel. And this brand addresses all five different levels of intention. And everybody knows, as I talk about the mathematical equation of manifestation, is what you pay attention to, what we wear, wear and what we give our intention to as all five levels of intention equals the coincidences in our lives or the ability to get what we want, uh, which is happiness, the ability to make money, help people and have fun ourselves. Um, Mike, I got time for, we're going to go a little bit over, but can, can you ask one more question of these unbelievable women? Yeah, absolutely. So when I hear you talking about this, it, it really comes back to the individuals and that, that willingness in, I guess, each of us to step forward and either admit to ourselves or others that, um, there's a problem, uh, I'm suffering or I'm struggling. Is there a tip or a technique or a tool that you can give any of them, any of the listeners that might help them take that first so profound but important step? I, I think it's appreciating what you have within within you first. And we, it's very hard for us to get there when you're, you know, you're miserable, you're low. Everything you do seems to go wrong when it isn't actually going wrong. When I thought about, you, you know, I'm in fashion. So like Shelly would say, you know, wear the brand, like don't wear anything else. I wondered what I was going to wear today. And I thought, let me, this is one of our philanthropies as well. It's I have a reason to be happy. And the back of the T-shirt says the reason is you. So it's appreciating, not material, but appreciating people. And everybody has a reason to be happy. If you have nothing, there's someone that does something to make you happy. It's your mother, it's your, it's your brother, your sister, your friend, a stranger, someone who's really nice to you in the elevator. I think appreciating someone else takes the focus off yourself. 
You know, if I could just add to that, that's huge what Deb said. You know, helping others does always make you feel a ton better. But I think the biggest message too is you're not alone. And you'd be surprised how many people do understand and just want to hear you and want to be there for you. Yeah. I, I think shifting the focus as well. I, and you have to consciously make that effort. But if we're not talking to people, we're talking, if we talk at them and not talk to them, which is what we're trying to do is talk to them, get kids to come out. I have 11 year olds, 16 year olds, 18 year olds that are doing interviews, talking about their weak moments and how they overcame it. And, you know, you can overcome it because a friend helped and sometimes go out and help somebody else and that makes you feel good inside and you know it's really shifting the focus is what i think a big tool absolutely and the one common denominator of happiness is no matter how tall how short no matter how rich how poor how sick how well is gratitude gratitude is the only common denominator of happiness and you guys bring so much of that appreciation that ability to add value to so many people's lives and teaching and empowering them also to add value to other people's lives is a message that I hear loud and clear, one that you can actually wear and support. So please uh, reach out to these wonderful women. It's uh, thaleblanc.com. Where else can people reach out to, to you both uh, to support your cause? It's uh, at on Instagram, it's at Power of Words brand. Talk. <laughs> Say it again. And TikTok. And yeah, TikTok. we're all there. You go. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll have to have you guys on my TikTok live if you're. I didn't know you were TikTokers. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. We'll get that arranged. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you, Joanna. I appreciate both of you and all your efforts. God Thank bless. You. Thank you. Amazing Bye -bye. day. All right, Mike. I, I made you go over, uh, but now that I do the 7 a.m. training clubhouse. What is it? IG, yes. TikTok, everything simulcast everywhere at seven. I got an extra hour. So uh, take away for the day, my young brother. Yes. Uh, the most powerful, uh, I think all of our guests reminded me, the most powerful of all of the intelligences are is that of ours, the human intelligence. And the closer we can get to tapping into the collective consciousness of the universe, the better off we'll be. We talked about blockchain and uh, AI and VR and NFTs and everything else. But when you boil it all down, if you want to scale a business, if you want to be happy in life, you have to be able to tap into that human intelligence. I love it. And, you know, for me, it's uh, gratitude. Um, the, the dynamic diversity of the people, these, you know, world thought leaders that came on here uh, today uh, on a Friday early in the morning, um, intertwined within all of their business and all of them are extremely successful in business was simple gratitude and because of that gratitude appreciating others to appreciate themselves elevating others to elevate themselves empowering others to empowering themselves so whether it was john list incredible legend gary credible legend rick for a few moments another legends in pr and of course Deborah and Joanna uh, just saving lives through their businesses. Uh, remember that appreciation, that ability to add value. We don't live in a zero-sum game. It's a value-add game. Let's all play the same game and help one another. I appreciate you, my brother. Please join me, Mikey. I'll see you in about a 55 minutes, hopefully, 
uh, somewhere on Clubhouse IG, so, somewhere that I'm doing my training. <laughs> Today's training, by the way, is five steps to selling. I'm going pragmatic on you. Five awesome. steps to sell anything. Welcome to the training. Everybody join me. Thanks for joining me, Mikey. Thank you. See you there. You got it. All right. Matt Mendoza helping me out with the incredible production of added people and technological difficulties. And yet here we are. I'm the last man standing. He must be doing a good job. Progress, not perfection. That's the key uh, to these shows. And it's the key to our business. We're doing the best that we can. Learning lessons and having fun as we sit here. Thank you all so much. I'm trying to be the most interested man in the world. Remember, everyone, be more interested than interesting. See you tomorrow.